0: So right now we're in the New Testament book of Acts, and we started that back in the fall. Took a little break during Christmas, and hopefully we'll finish this up uh, before Easter. And so we're in chapter 16, kind of a transitional time in the book of Acts as we kind of move out of the center of Jerusalem and get to the gospel to the ends of the year. So uh, some really cool stuff we're going to look at uh, this morning. So as you're turning, if you walked in the room, you got a little bulletin and your little handout, probably got a little card that says next steps. And so uh, just briefly let you know what this is about, Uh, one of the best ways you can kind of feel connected and plugged in is not only through community groups and groups that meet all throughout the city, but also through serving. And it's a way for us to kind of feel a part of this mission when you step in here and begin to lock arms with other brothers and sisters in Christ and serve. And so uh, one of those avenues of serving is within our kids ministry. And so a little over a year ago, uh, we transitioned. This is a huge transition uh, to really encourage uh, our people to do a weekly service. So to commit four to six months to serve on a weekly basis uh, back in our kids' ministry. Several reasons why we did that. Uh, One of them was we felt like it's a great way for us to to really, partner with moms and dads and get to know their children and get to know moms and dads when we're serving on a weekly basis. Otherwise, it feels like a substitute teacher that's rolling in there on a monthly basis. And so, we have seen great uh, just rapport and success and love kind of this model of transition. So, uh, but we're getting ready to kind of transition to where in March we have a whole new cycle of workers that need to come in and give the ones that have been working for the last four to six months a break and, and a kind of a respite. And so, to do that, we're recruiting some new teams. And so so if you would have interest in at least kind of exploring what can I get involved in in the kids ministry what does this look like the best way to do that is fill out this little card drop it off the welcome center or in the little giving box and Ashley will probably get in touch with you this week and and talk to you more about what that means. So uh, so just yeah, just a way for you to step in and feel connected and feel part of what we're doing here uh, at Sojourn. So yeah, awesome. Okay, so hopefully you found the book of Acts. If you haven't, it's all good because it's in your bulletin and on the screen. So just put the Bible down, amen? So if you can't find it, all right? So here we go. Let's stand together in honor of reading God's word. We are gonna read kind of a a lengthy passage again. Sorry, it just feels like these narratives are pretty cool. It's kind of hard to chop them up and not read the entirety of it. So if you get tired halfway through, just sit down, tap out, amen? So I don't want anybody... uh, Passing out on me or shift your weight as I'm talking. You can dance a little bit, whatever you wanna do there. So uh, we're gonna start in verse 13 and read down to the end of the chapter. And this is kind of jumping into the middle of, of Paul's second missionary journey. His companions are a little different than his first missionary journey. He's got Paul and Silas, and actually we'll pick it up here. You'll see the transition of a pronoun. It goes from like them to we. And so actually the author of the book of Acts, which is Luke, joins them in on this second missionary journey. And so we're, we're picking it up and they've landed in Philippi, all right? You can read the backstory if you want to at home and find out how they get there. It's kind of some cool stuff there, but we're not looking at that this morning, all right? So here we go, verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside Paul, Silas, and Luke, outside the city gate to a river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. I think that's how you say that, pretty sure. Saying it with confidence, all right? If it's not, just give me grace. Who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrate and said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept for pra- or practice. And the crowd joined in an attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly... There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains uh, came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, hang on. That's me. All right, hang on. Don't don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, and asked, sirs, what what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them in and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had become to believe in God, he and his whole family. And when it was daylight, the magistrate sent the officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. And the jailer told Paul, the magistrate have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, no, they beat us publicly without trial, even though we were Roman citizens and they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out if officers reported this to the magistrates and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed and they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. And I'm just, just real, real quick, I'm not gonna get to that section. So in case you're wondering what's going on here, uh, what's going on here is Paul's trying to help set up the church that's getting ready to be planted in Philippi. And so he's trying to bring a sort of a respect toward that church as it gets started by them having to come and basically apologize for doing this and treating them wrongly. So that's the caveat there. Verse 39 or verse 40. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them, and then they left. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we once again come to you like we do every Sunday and ask for your spirit's help. Help us understand what we've just read. And Lord, we know that your word is perfect. It revives the soul. Lord, your word is trustworthy. It makes us wise. Lord, your word is right, giving joy, just to like this Philippian jailer to the heart. Lord, your word is radiant, giving light to our eyes. And Lord, may we this morning be warned by your word and by your spirit. May you empower us to keep what we have heard this morning. For in that, Lord, there is great reward. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. So here's what I want to do this morning. Usually I try to give you sort of like a, kind of a a map of where I'm going this morning so you can kind of know where I'm at in the sermon. All right, and I do that so you know when I'm getting close to the end. Amen. So here's where, thank you for laughing. Here's where I'm trying to go this morning with this of scripture. I want to, I want to answer the question, why? So why these three conversions? Like, why of all the people that came to faith in Christ in Philippi, why does Luke choose these three people to highlight? And why does he put them together? Like, there's, there's kind of a purpose behind this. And I want us to kind of, unpack why. Why is it that Luke chose to highlight these three people of all the people that were converted in Philippi? Why Lydia? Why the slave girl? And why this Philippian jeller? And why keep them all together? So what I want to do real quickly is kind of highlight each of these three and kind of bring out some diversity that we see in this. And then hopefully land the plane with answering that question, why? And and by God's grace, may kind of give us something to think and chew on as we walk out of here this morning. So the first lady is Lydia, all right? So Lydia, if you wanna write down your notes because you got a lot of blank space there, you put Lydia, number one. So we, we meet this woman here in verse 13. So on the Sabbath, we, talking about Paul and Silas and Luke, went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. And the reason why they have to go outside the city and not do this inside the city, because in that time you had at least have 10 Jewish men in order to have a synagogue. And so there was not 10 Jewish men in the city in order to do this. And so they would go outside the city To pray. And so there was a group of women out there verse 13, the last part of that. So we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of those women, verse 14, was listening to us and her name was Lydia. And look how Luke describes her. She's a dealer of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper for God. So who was Lydia? Well, she is a a pretty wealthy businesswoman is who she is. So we see here that she's a, a she sold dyed cloth here which which was pretty prominent and and probably gave her a pretty good um, you know money making business here the best way to kind of compare this to our day would be someone that's working on Wall Street and and exchanging stock in New York City that's kind of the the parallel of what's going on here that's that's sort of like her status in society which is really good for a woman in this time so so obviously she's a brilliant woman, she's driven, she seems to be well-respected and she's kind of put together, you know what I'm saying? And then at the same time, she's sort of the seeker. She's, a, she's worshiping God. She's kind of rejected, you know, the, the paganism that she grew up in and, and finds something attractive and drawn to this Jewish God. And so Paul and Silas, Share the Bible with her basically, share about Jesus here. And we look at the end there of verse 14, we see that the Lord opened her heart and she responded to Paul's message. So even though she's a moral, good, upstanding citizen, brilliant, got it all together, she still needed Jesus. Even though she was a God fearer, quote unquote, that we see in the text, she still needed Jesus. And God sent Paul to this group of ladies here, Lydia in particular. He shares the message about Jesus and God opens her heart and she responds in repentance and faith and she becomes a Christian. So that's convert number one, Lydia. Now, convert number two is a slave girl. So you're talking about the, um, the polar opposites of social society, right? So here's Lydia Someone that's wealthy, upstanding, businesswoman, got it all together. And then on the very polar opposite of that is a slave girl. Look what it says about her in verse 16. Once, when we were going to this place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. So now we meet a a slave girl. Most likely, she's probably between the ages of 13 and 15. And we see here that this is a, a lady that has a, most like a demonic spirit that's dwelling in her. And she's able to predict the future through this demonic spirit. And she's obviously does it really, really well because she's earned her masters a great deal of money by this little thing that she does here. And so here's, a young lady that is marginalized, kind of like a, a non-person in the eyes of society, kind of more of a sort of a piece of property. So she's, I mean, she's a nobody here. I mean, the very opposite end of the spectrum versus Lydia. And then we go on here. If you look at verse 17, it's, it's kind of humorous what happens to her. Not humorous, but just humorous how they tell the story here. So. Maybe just for me, because no one else laughed at that. And even as we read, you didn't chuckle a little bit. I kind of wanted to chuckle, but I didn't. All right, so verse 17, look what happens. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she didn't do this just for one day or one hour or maybe two days, she did this for many days because Luke tells us in verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Now we don't know why she's doing this. Luke doesn't give us the reasons why, but eventually Paul does something about it, right? So look what else happens here in verse, the second half of verse 18. Finally, Paul becomes so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Now this little word here called troubled, it it carries a lot of nuances and definition. One could be that Paul was sort of annoyed. All right, <laughs> it's like he's a human being. All right, he's just like us. He puts his pants on just like we put our pants on, right? So there's a good chance that he was sort of annoyed by this girl screaming for days about this. But more likely, what's going on here? Because the word also means deeply grieved, deeply distressed for her. So he he was deeply gr- grieved over the oppression that she's suffering. Of her slave owners, and he speaks to the spirit that's in her and says in the name of Jesus Christ, the spirit get out of her. And immediately that spirit gets out of her and she is converted. Now, some of you are going, well, I don't see that in this text. Where do you how do you get the idea that she has now become a Christian? Well, look at verse 19. When the owners of the slave girl realized that there were, their hope of making money was gone, they seize Paul and Silas. So there was a drastic, dramatic change that happened in this young lady's life to where the slave owners recognized that we're no longer gonna be able to make money out of her. She has been radically changed by Jesus. And another reason why I think she's converted and she's a Christian is because of the context. Luke is laying out three specific cases here for a reason. Lydia, the slave girl, and the Philippian jailer. So, the slave girl, on the opposite end of the social spectrum, here's the gospel, becomes a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. And then that leads us into meeting the third person, and that's the Philippian jailer. So the, um, you know, the slave owners get ticked off, they're mad, and they go to the leaders of the town, they tell that Paul and Silas are doing some crazy stuff, which is not true. The leaders of the town have you know Paul and Silas beaten with rods, like these guys... Beaten, severely flogged is what the passage says there. And then he tells a Philippian jailer to make sure you guard them securely. Make sure they do not get out. And then we pick up this Philippian jailer in verse 24 and look what it says there. On receiving such orders, guard them carefully. He, this Philippian jailer, put them in an inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks so this is what we know about this Jair. Most likely he's a highly decorated Roman soldier. And the reason why we know that because usually when a Roman soldier goes into retirement, they're given jails to run. So this is an older man. He's probably pretty hardened by all of life and pretty cynical, uh, probably uh, some, obviously he's pretty cruel because he doesn't, really care or give any concern about Paul and Silas being beaten. He actually puts them in the inner cell, which is the, the darkest and the, the, the lowest place of the, of the jail where a lot of the, the sewage would run through here. And he, he puts their feet in stocks, which isn't very comfortable. That's why they're still up at midnight because they can't sleep because it's kind of like a, a mild form of torture here. And so here's a man that's just hardened, old, probably pretty cranky. Cynical, if he's heard about Jesus, he doesn't give a rip, right? So of all the three here, here's the one that has absolutely no spiritual interest. So you got Lydia, right? God fearer. Then you got the slave girl who has a demonic spirit, spiritual turmoil going on. And then you got this jailer that goes, Yeah, maybe I've heard some stories about Jesus, but I don't care. Well, two things are about to happen to him. It's gonna absolutely rock his world. I love this. Look at verse. 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I'll say this again. All right. So remember Paul and Silas, right? Beaten with rods. That I've never been beaten with rods. I've gotten hit with a belt before and it didn't feel very good. All right. So I can't imagine getting flogged with a rod, right? That would hurt really bad. Beaten with rods. They're in a, the lowest part of the jail, sewer, sewage all over the place, and their legs are in stocks. It's horrible. And what are they doing? They're singing. I I don't know about you, but normally when I'm singing, I got some joy going on, right? I mean, yeah, I know there's sad songs, and we sing those sad songs so we can get all teary-eyed and cry every once in a while and, you know, whatever. It goes, yeah. Valentine's Day's coming, oh, whatever. But most of the time, like if I've got joy that's well enough in my own heart, like I'm singing, right? If I'm in the shower singing, I'm not singing because I'm sad in the shower. I'm in the shower singing because I'm a happy man, right? And it's absolutely mind blowing for this jailer to observe these two men who have been treated unfairly, treated very cruelly in a a sewage pit, so to speak, their legs in stock, and they're singing. This man has never seen this before. A joy that is much deeper than circumstances, that runs truly deep, that no matter what kind of circumstances they're in, it springs out to where they are singing hymns to God. It's Crazy what's going on here. And this jailer just does not, like that, there's no category for him in that. None. I love what C.S. Lewis says about suffering and pain. It's probably one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. I mean, he's got tons of them, but one of them I really love is this one. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse the deaf world. And that's exactly what's happened to this Philippian jailer. The way that Paul and Silas are responding to suffering is God's megaphone to awaken this man. So that's the first thing that blows the sky out. Second thing, and it gets even more funny, I think, verse 26, look what happens. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Now the janitor woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now why? Why would he kill himself? Why would he get ready to kill himself? Because if if he failed on his mission to make sure these prisoners don't escape, then the, then the punishment for that is not suspension, it's execution, right? It's not like, I'm sorry, we're gonna suspend you for a couple of days or a week, whatever, then you can come back. No, it's execution. There's no like explaining this, right? No, no, I promise there was an earthquake that happened. Right? No, that's not gonna happen here. If these prisoners escape, it's his death. And that's why he's getting ready to kill himself. And then, look, look what happens in verse 28. But Paul shouted, hang on, hold on. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. and The first thing you want to say there is what? Right? Like, it's almost like, Paul, don't you remember what happened to Peter a few years ago when the angel came and let Peter out? And the reason why angel came was so that the Peter could get out of prison. Like, are you kind of forgetting something? The earthquake came so that you and Paul... And Silas and your old little companions could just be set free. Like, what are you doing? Right? So like, are you missing something here? I think it's kind of funny. Obviously, you guys don't, but that's all right. Verse 29, look what happens here. Then the jailer called for the lights, and he rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And there's nothing that he has to do because everything's been done for him in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul and Silas reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and and your whole household. So look at this. The jailer has no category, not only for people singing in the midst of a lot of pain and suffering, but he doesn't have a category for staying. Because what this guy just experienced is this. He's experiencing good. Good not evil, when he deserved to be experiencing evil. This man treated Paul and Silas and all their companions horribly, cruelly. And all of a sudden now, this group of people is serving him. They're, they're, they're saying no to their freedom in order to serve this man. They're willing to turn good, even though they've experienced a lot of evil from this man. It's absolutely mind blowing for this man. He doesn't have a category to fit this in. Like, why would you treat me like this? One pastor kind of puts it like this and kind of paraphrasing a little bit. This is kind of what the, what, what the Philippian jailer is probably saying. Why didn't you get your freedom at the expense of my death? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Why didn't you get your freedom at the expense of my death? And it's like Paul and Silas answered like this. We already have our freedom. At the expense of another one's death who gave his life voluntarily, let me tell you about him. His name is Jesus. That jailer had no category. Why in the world would you repay me good? when I've treated you with so much evil. So that that earthquake didn't come to set free Paul and Silas, right? That earthquake came to free the Philippian jailer and his entire family, blew him away. So back up, why? Why? Why Lydia, why Slave Girl, why Philippian Jailer? Why all three of these put together? What's Luke trying to do? I'll give you three reasons. I'm landing on one, okay? So I'm spending the majority of my time on the last one. Let me give you two really, really fast, all right? so if you wanna find out more about these two, you can come to me later or talk to your neighbor. So here's two really fast. The first one is this is because God is teaching us that there are multiple ways and means by which the gospel gets to people. We don't need to just learn a canned approach. It's not, not that I'm against canned approaches, but when we really love people well and we're curious about people, then we're gonna find different ways to speak the gospel to them. So Lydia, what does she need? A Bethmore Bible study, right? That's what she needs. That's exactly what's going on here. The slave girl, what does she need? She needs someone to identify with her oppression, She needs to want someone to come in and relieve her oppression. That's why it's absolutely important for us to be in word and deed ministry as a church because there's many people like the slave girl, maybe not in physical slavery, but they're in slavery in some capacity. And the church needs to be their advocate. Step in, bring freedom so that the gospel can be spoken. Thirdly, what does the jailer need? What's the jailer? Jailer doesn't need you to speak the gospel to them. They need to see it. And that's exactly what happened with them with Paul and Silas. He saw something that he had no category to explain what's going on here. And it opened the door for them to talk about Jesus. So that's one reason. Second reason, all right, is that if and you need to go home and do this, I mean, this is a sermon in and of itself, I think, but, but we see in all three of these, and even adding Paul, so that's four, that the gospel brings about genuine change. Not before But after they received Christ, Lydia, a different woman, actually the church in Philippi, is planted out of her home. The slave girl, absolutely different woman. The jailer, dude, he's a completely different man as a result of them receiving the gospel and the spirit of God comes in them. And then I'll throw in Paul. So here, look, look. Every Jew was taught to pray this every single morning. And so Paul, as a young kid, was taught to pray this prayer every single morning. Blessed are you, O God, that you have not made me a woman, a slave, or a gentile. And who's brought to faith in Christ in Acts 16 in that order? A woman, a slave, and a gentile. And then I love what Paul says, or Luke says, all right, not Paul. Verse 40, let's what he says. And Paul and Silas came out of the prison and they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters. How does that happen? That happens because the spirit of God comes in and brings about genuine change. That's, those are the two, all right? Two reasons, highlight those really fast if you want more you can come later or whatever. All right, so here's the third one that I wanna land on. And I do think this is the emphasis that Luke is after here. And that is this. He wants us to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all types of people. I'll say it again. Luke is going to, creative means here for us to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all types all kinds of people. And I think chapter 15 and chapter 16 are kind of work hand in hand because I think they address two misconceptions that we can gravitate or drift toward as a church if we're not careful. I did chapter 15 last Sunday. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to go listen to that. I'll just give you a little brief talk, just briefly here. I woke up Monday morning filling the Sunday sermon hangover to some extent because I was going like, I'm sure you may have left here going, but what about this? What about this? And please, hear me. I didn't get any emails or weird stuff like that. You guys were wonderful and kind and gracious. But hear me, the point of chapter 15 is what? We're never going to add to Jesus. Like the gospel is receive Christ, period. And you will be a different person. And so the danger for us is that we want to add to it Jesus and Hear me. I I think I spoke this clearly in the nine. Didn't speak it very clearly in the eleven. Yes, yes, guys. We believe that God teaches us that life begins at conception, and so we, as a church, have a call in our lives to make sure we protect the unborn as well as the mother who wants to think about getting an abortion. That is God's call upon us, and we believe that the Bible teaches this. Yes, we believe that sexual activity outside of marriage, out of the the context of a one man, one woman for a lifetime, is a sin. wrong. Yes, we believe the Bible is the very word of God. When I read it here, we're hearing the words of God and we want to be a people that do not sit over it, but we're a people who sit under it. But please hear me. If we add that as a condition for you to be a Christian, we're preaching a false gospel and we will not do that here. And that's exactly what Acts 15 is talking about. Acts 16 comes in and addresses a second misconception, and that is this, is that we believe, eventually, we drift over here, that the gospel is for certain types of people, for certain categories of people, for certain nationalities or cultures of people. We have this mindset that, 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 oh wow, I'm not the religious type. I don't know if you've ever said that, or if you've had friends say that, or or neighbors say that. So, look, you know, I, I, you know, you can be into your Jesus thing, but I'm not the religious type. I'm not the born-again type. I'm not the Christian type. And what is happening in this passage of scripture is Luke is reminding us that there is no type of person where the gospel seems natural to. There is no type of person where the gospel seems more suited to. And he does this by highlighting these three people. I mean, Lydia, what is she? She's successful. She's wealthy, most likely racially. She's Middle Eastern. She's a moral religious person. Go all the way to the other spectrum. You got the slave girl, who's racially most likely a Greek. We're not fully sure because she's a slave. She's marginalized in society. She's a demon possessed woman. She's lower income, lower class. Let's take two extremes here, and then you got the Philippian jailer, some old, cynical, angry. You know, he's not majorly successful, but he's not poor. He's kind of middle class. He's not. He's the guy that just wants to go home, watch NASCAR, drink a six pack and put his hands in his pants. That's all he wants to do. Thanks for laughing a little bit. I hope that not make you guys feel really weird. But that's exactly the, the kind of the demographic or whatever you want to call it there of what's being put before us here. Why? Why is Luke going to extreme measures for us to see that? Because the gospel This message of Jesus is not just for certain types of people. It is for everyone because this gospel saved and changed them. And these three individuals are all part of the church in Philippi. That's why it's there. I love what one writer, one commentator says about this. He says, they differ so much from one another that Luke might be thought to have deliberately, which I would say, yes, he did, selected them in order to show how the saving name of Jesus proved its power in the lives of the most diverse types. So the gospel is not just for the cultured and the able. It's not just for the helpless and the broken. It's not just for the moral And nice people, it's not just for the addicted people. It's not just for the conservatives or the liberals. It's not just for the wealthy or the poor. No, it is for all kinds of people because we all have one problem, and that is sin. And we all have one hope, and his name is Jesus, period, period. I mean, think about this, guys. Look, and I... To my shame, I probably should have known this, but, but I didn't. So, but think about this. I came across this this week as I was studying. Christianity is the only religion that has never been dominated by one part of the world. we will say that again. Think about this. Christianity is the only religion that has never been dominated by one part of the world. Islam, Middle Eastern, Hinduism, India, Buddhism, Asia. Confucianism, China, but Christianity, it started in Middle East, right? Jerusalem was kind of the epicenter, but as we will see in the book of Acts, it actually begins to fade in the background because now it's starting to migrate to the Mediterranean area. And then from there, it migrates to North Africa. From there, it migrates to, to Northern Europe. From there, it migrates to North America. There's There's no central one spot in the world. And it's interesting, there are more African Christians, Latin American Christians, Asian Christians, Korean Christians, Chinese Christians than there is right now in all of Western Europe and North America combined. And that's even including those people that call themselves cultural Christians. Why is that? Why? Because Christianity is the only religion where there are no types. The gospel is for everyone. Everyone. And that's why, you guys, look, yes, we've got a lot of growth to do in this area, but man, it does warm my heart when I stand before us in two services, and there are all types here. People from all different backgrounds, some of us from Bullitt County, amen, right? Some of us from Jefferson County, some of us, all like all different backgrounds, all different cultural experiences, different colors, different makeup of our own face. I'm glad you don't all look like me. This would be such a boring place, amen? We're not all 20s, we're not all 30s, we're not all 40s. No, there's all types in here. Yes, we've got growth to do. Yes, we've got a whole lot more work to do here, but I hope it's a picture of what God is after. Because the gospel is not just for that conservative kid that grew up in the white home. It's not. It's not just for that type. The gospel is powerful enough to go across and break down any barrier, cultural, demographic, racial, ethical, whatever you want to say there. It has that kind of power. And Luke is very clear in this. That's why I'm putting these three before you. It's not just for certain types. It's for all people. So if you're a Christian here, here's, here's my encouragement and then I'm, then I'm done. If you're a Christian here, I, I don't know, maybe I've been there, right? Where you you've prayed, you're asking God to save someone, bring a new life to them, open their hearts like you did Lydia and nothing, nothing. And you start to, kind of think or maybe kind of drift toward, I, well, you know, that kind of person would never receive the gospel. They're not the religious type. And we find ourselves losing hope, maybe even showing contempt toward them. And I just, just want to remind us, right? You are a sinner saved by grace, period. You weren't the religious type. There was nothing in your upbringing or your background that made you more susceptible to the gospel message. What happened to you is exactly what happened to Lydia. God sent someone, could have been your mom and dad, could have been a pastor, could have been a friend, could have been a neighbor, could have been a family, whatever, sent someone to share with you about Jesus, You heard that message and God opened your heart and gave you the power to respond in repentance and faith. You are also saved by grace. So I pray, right? I pray that these little examples that Luke gives to us gives you hope, encouragement to continue to pray. That God's gospel has the power to break through anything you think can't be broken through. There are no type that's more susceptible and more naturally respond to the gospel. No, keep praying, keep asking. God can do this. But if you're not a Christian, first of all, I just want to say, man, I'm, seriously, thank you for coming. Like like coming into a place and singing songs that are different and and strange and, Sometimes it can be just a really difficult place to walk into. And I just wanna say thank you for being here. But if you're not a Christian, my encouragement for you is this, and and maybe you have used this as an excuse. Maybe you've said, hey, I'm, I'm not into Jesus or I'm not into the Christian thing because I'm not a religious type. Well, my prayer is that as you've seen in these three examples, there's no religious type. There's no type of person that the gospel is more suitable to. And my prayer for you is that you would stop using this as an excuse and you would truly reflect and think upon the claims of Christianity specifically about who Jesus is. I mean, if Jesus is beautiful enough for Lydia, if Jesus is powerful enough for the slave girl, if he's, if we can use this language, practical enough for the Philippian jailer, then he's enough for you. What did Peter say in Acts chapter 2? He said this: everyone, or in the King James Version, it says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray.